Amen. Well, you heard the gospel already, so I got I don't have to worry about that this morning. Let's let me tell you something. It's exciting to get up and preach whenever you realize that it's all because of Christ and what he's done that we even get this opportunity. I wonder sometimes how people go to church without understanding the great sacrifice, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. That makes sense. How could you sit under worship? How could you sit under the reading of God's word and not really get that? And so, as we come to this series, as we come to what God has prepared for us, we need to keep in mind the ultimate price that has been paid for us. There's been much that has been given for us. And as we find in the end of Luke chapter 12, to whom much is given, much is required. And so I want to take the next few weeks in this month, and I want us to look at Luke chapter 12 in its entirety. I want us to focus in on being given to that which is God's. I've titled this series, Given, because of the focal point of Luke chapter 12, the great crescendo of Jesus' teaching here as the crowd has gathered and as they have slowly dissipated. And it is just His disciples left. And we come to verse 48 when it says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. I look around and I see us and I see a a church that is a giving church. I see a church that is a blessed church. I see people and individuals who are giving people. And I see people who are blessed people. And so that is why it is with a heavy and sincere heart that we approach the text this morning. Because I understand the great deeds that have been done. I understand the great checks that have been written. I understand the great time and resource that has been given to this church and in light of the gospel. But as we begin this morning, we begin with the startling contrast of that which is sincere and that which is hypocritical. If you have your Bible taken, turn to Luke chapter 12. And I want to read Luke chapter 12 in its entirety as we begin. If you would, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As a chapter which we often pick out of four or five, maybe ten verses at a time, we must understand that Luke chapter 12 is entirely together. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. 
Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you've whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of God, will also acknowledge him before the angels. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, You who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than much birds? Can any of you add one moment to his life? By worrying, if then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of them. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this. If the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house, house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus' final teaching here. Lord, Peter asked, 
Are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager? His master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. And truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father and son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's normal. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret the present time? Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge, and the judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, You will never get out of there until you have paid the last cent. Let's pray together. Father, let your word fall on us this morning. As we begin to walk through Luke chapter 12, may you speak the truths that we find there. May we learn to apply them. Let us be sincere this morning in our efforts of giving. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Giving is an interesting thing. Giving is something that we are accustomed to. We we give for birthdays. We give for Christmas. We we give gifts for special occasions. We, We give gifts for not special occasions. There's a day for literally everything now. A couple weeks ago it was... National Puppy Day. And in my house, they tried to get me to buy a puppy. And it wasn't happening. Because I don't celebrate that holiday. But we do give gifts. Husbands, I believe that gift giving is possibly the most difficult on us. Because there is so much expectation And so much risk, sometimes there's good reward, but most of the time there's just extreme risk. And so I want to, just in real quick, as a side note to the sermon, I want to give you a couple of examples, because I know there's some birthdays coming up, I know especially my wife's birthday is coming up, and 
I just want to give you some ideas of what not to do, okay? Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you will get her size right, and your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. And one size fits all does not mean one size fits all just as an extra. Husbands, avoid all things useful as gifts. That new silver polish advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you brownie points. And neither is the latest vacuum, unless it's a Roomba. And even then she may get offended because you think that the house is never vacuumed. Don't buy jewelry. Husbands, the jewelry your wife wants, you cannot afford. The jewelry you can't afford, your wife does not want. And finally, don't spend too much. Because this always happens. How do you think we're going to afford that? She will ask. But don't spend too little. Because then she won't say a word. But she will be thinking, this must be all I'm worth to him. Basically, I don't know what you should get your wife. But make sure that it's given in a proper way. Make sure that it's given with the right heart. And make sure it's given in sincerity. And as we approach Luke chapter 12, that is the first thing that Jesus tackles. Is the sincerity of giving. I've titled the message today, Sincerity of Giving. Because when we look at Luke chapter 12, I want you to understand something. We have often pulled piece by piece of this chapter. We've talked about the first part and when we talk about hypocrisy. We've talked about the middle part when we talk about um, the parable of the rich fool and storing up for himself treasures. We talk about do not worry. We use the, the middle part of Luke chapter 12 to talk about not worrying, don't be anxious. We talk about how the end, we talk about the end of times in Luke chapter 12. But I want you to understand something about Luke chapter 12. Jesus is not preaching a sermon in Luke chapter 12 where he is just picking at each little subject but rather, this is a grand piece in front of this crowd. Notice the end of chapter 11. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about money. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth. And you bypass justice and love for God. Listen, Jesus has a lot to say about money and our finances in Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And he begins with the sincerity of giving. Notice the crowd. 
the beginning of verse 12, or the beginning of chapter 12. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. This is Walmart on Black Friday. This is people wanting to see, wanting to know, wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. But most of all, Jesus knew in his heart that the many had come to see miracles. The many had come to receive and not to give. And so Jesus continues his teaching according to finances. And his first words to the many thousands that had gathered be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus immediately addresses the sincerity of givers. Just a few verses earlier, he had given warning to the Pharisees about their giving. You give a tenth and you bypass justice and a love for God. and We can't help but understand the tie between that and between verse 1 because Jesus looks out and he sees the many who claim to be religious. And he notes immediately the problem in their giving. And as I said, it is with heavy hearts, with sincere hearts that we approach this Because we must ask ourselves, how sincere is my giving? Now I want to make a side note for this entire series. When we talk about giving, we are mostly going to talk about money. That doesn't excuse you from not being here for the next few weeks. But what it does tell us is that this is something very central and focal in Christ's teaching. He spoke a lot about money. But also, this applies to our time. This applies to how we steward our resources. This applies to how we steward our relationships. Some of you may be very, very good and very sincere in writing your check to pay your tithe of obedience to the Lord, but you may be very insincere in offering your time what God desires. There's a word for all of us in every part of this. And so today we're going to tackle the sincerity of giving. The first thing that we have to note is that there is a problem. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. There is a problem. Jesus first warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees was the pervasive sin of externally religious activity, namely hypocrisy. The hypocrite in Greek was originally one who acted a part or assumed a mask as in a play or a theater. One who is playing a part but is not that. The religious hypocrite played the part of a religious man. 
But there was no reality and no relationship with God in and from the heart. Jesus explained this using two illustrations. He said hypocrisy is short-sighted because what is hidden will be exposed and what is whispered will be made public. Nothing remains hidden or secret forever. One day hypocrisy will be exposed for what it is. Hypocrisy is a sham. We've learned that word very well in the modern church. It's often an excuse that's given for folks not to come to church. They say, I don't want to go down there with all those hypocrites. To which I often reply, I know no better place for hypocrites to be than under the word of God and the teaching of it. But we've learned this word. And you probably know in your heart what a hypocrite looks like. And what Jesus addresses in the beginning of Luke chapter 12 is that this is indeed a problem. And it's a problem financially. You see, what Jesus is getting at is that, as he said earlier, that we are so good at giving our tithe. We're so good at making sure that we check off a box and we forget about all of the heart and the devotion and the relationship that's involved in it. We get so accustomed to making sure that we're doing what is right that we forget about doing what is relational. That's what hypocrisy is. going to be many that say to me on that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? And Jesus could add to that in the modern church, there will be many who say to me on that day, Lord, did we not give millions and millions and millions of dollars to your name? And he will say, depart from me. We never had relationship. Four years ago, we went on a mission trip. Tucson where we met Loretta and Loretta had shared with us us her testimony about growing up in the Catholic Church and how in the deepest darkest days of her life she had become a drug dealer and how she would walk into the church she would come for confessional and she would leave bags of thousands of dollars outside the door. In her mind, she was giving, and therefore she was right with God. But there was nothing sincere about the gift. I wonder how many times we put a check in an offering plate. I wonder how many times we put a few bills in the envelope, simply because that's what we're supposed to do, rather than because that's what we desire to do. Let's be honest, we don't desire to give away a lot of stuff that we have. 
even myself, even coming to ministry. Sometimes my time is given so insincerely. It's given out of force of habit. It's given out of force of obligation to someone else. Church, Christian, are we giving in sincerity? Or do we have a problem with that? Jesus looked out and he said, listen, there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There's nothing hidden that won't be made known. There's nothing whispered that won't be proclaimed on the housetops. This is not for the people inside the church. Jesus isn't saying, listen, you're going to have a whole bunch of other disciples and followers come around you and say, hey, you're messing up. No. I want to tell you that there are people in this world who see right through you. There are people in this world who look at you and the first thought that they think is insincerity. I faced this when I was in high school. I was leader of our FCA. I led worship in our youth group. I was doing all the things that a Christian young person should do. Because that's what you're supposed to do. You see, in my story and in, in, in coming to know the Lord, I had tried to work and do all that. All the while leaving grace aside and un not understanding that it was about a relationship. Finally, God pinned me down on that. And for the next few years as a teenager, I began to try to work through what it looked like to lean into the grace of the Lord rather than into my works. And all that all came to a head at one conversation with a good friend of mine. His name is Paulo. Paulo wasn't a believer at the time that he and I had this conversation. But we sat down, we were in the locker room and we sat down and he looked at me and he said, do you actually believe in all the things that you're doing? And of course my answer was, yeah, of course. And in the most sincere way that he could, he basically said, bull. He called me out for my hypocrisy. He called me out for my insincerity. He called me out for doing all the things and leaving the relationship aside. And Christian, I wonder how many people in your life could look at you and say, listen, I know that you go to church. I know that you give quite a bit. I know that you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm calling bull. Jesus warns us that there's a problem. 
And he warns us that there's a price. I love the way that the Mooney commentary describes this passage. It says, Jesus next warns his his disciples about the danger of the fear of man. This is a danger to which disciples are often exposed and may result in a denial of the faith or a failure to maintain expressed conviction. Pressure often causes people to go along and get along. And in the opening contrast, Jesus took the issue right to the extreme to make his point. People ought not to be feared, for the worst that they can do is kill the body. But God is to be feared because he can kill and cast into hell. The point being made must not be lost by the extreme comparison. God is not going to throw disciples, his followers, into hell. But Jesus wants us to understand the point is men have limited capacity for helping or hurting us. While God has unlimited capacity for judging and for blessing. Accordingly, disciples should concern themselves with seeking the goodwill of God before being concerned about seeking the goodwill of men. As that relates to our giving, as Jesus is laying this down, what he wants us to understand is that we have more to gain from our giving in sincerity to God than we have to gain in hoarding for ourselves or in giving that which is not of God. He's saying to us, listen, the one who calls you to obedience in giving, he is to be feared. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights in our Life Hacks class, we've been talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Tells us that in Proverbs and The great King Solomon, who asked for wisdom, understood that very principle. How should we be wise then in our giving? We need to understand that there's a price. That the fear of the Lord produces good. It profits us. Whereas the fear of man leaves us indebted. Christian, I wonder how often we are faced with those two choices of whether of giving to the Lord or or taking for ourselves. And I wonder how often, how many testimonies there might be in here of times when we've given to the Lord and He's showed Himself very faithful to provide and times when we've kept for ourselves and man has left us empty and indebted to hell. You see, when we talk about the sincerity of giving, we have to understand that there's a price to insincere, hypocritical giving. It does nothing for us. In fact, it leaves us indebted. Simple example. If we give For the motive of pride, for the motive of showing off, 
we are often asked to give again. And therefore we are indebted. At every turn, we are indebted. But when the Lord requires of us a gift, His promise is faithful. That we are free in that. That we love Him, and because we love Him, we follow His commands, and because He's commanded us to give, we give. We have to understand that when we give insincerely, there is a price. Finally, in closing, the main thing for the small bit of teaching that Jesus laid on them to start with, not only is there a problem and there's a price, but he gives us a principle. There is a principle to all of this. Jesus often the contrast with a word of principle. The one who fears God will find a God who cares for his own. Two illustrations make Jesus' point. God's care for the sparrows ought to assure us that he cares for us. Are not five sparrows worth two pennies? There is something greatly important about that statement in the context of what is happening. Jesus could have said something as simple as, Do not people pay for sparrows? Do you not have to give money for sparrows? But Jesus went very specific in his example, and he did it for a purpose. Are not five sparrows worth two pennies? Jesus gave value to the sparrow. Jesus gave value to the sparrow. A fourth of a cent. He gave value to the sparrow and then he followed it up by saying, are you not worth more than many sparrows? The principle here is that you are valued. He reiterates that with the common text of he knows every hair on your head. He knows the number. They have been counted. Something so non-trivial, like the numbers of hair on our heads. Now, some of you, that's really easy to count. I'm not pointing fingers, not naming names. I'm not even going to make eye contact. But something as non-trivial as the number of hairs on your head. And yet he knows it. Why? Because he wants you to know that you are so valued that he even cares about the non-trivial things of your life. Jesus cares that you had a bad hair day. You have value. And when we understand that we have value, 
greater understand the point of the entirety of Luke chapter 12. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom is valued much, much is required. Church, as we begin to walk through this study, as we begin to read through Luke chapter 12, and I would encourage you over the course of this month as we go through it, take some extra time in your Bible study and just read pieces of Luke chapter 12. But I would encourage you to take on this idea. God values me. You are valued. And because of that, we should learn to be greatly sincere and giving. Your tithes and offerings are not about a bunch of numbers. They're not about a bunch of rituals. They're about nothing more than your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you with something. He has valued you more than anything. Enough to lay his life down. To pay an uncomprehensible price. So that you would have an opportunity to come in a relationship with him. Not so he could have your money. But so that he could have a relationship with you. Our principle for today. God values us. Let's pray together.